We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? More Nets news. More Nets news. We got great news, too, that Yes Network will be broadcasting Nets games. So that's very uh, Nets scrimmages, actually. So that's very exciting. We'll get some Nets basketball next week. But as always, you can find the buzz on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. This episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. But Jack, what are we talking about today? All right, Nick, something that exploded on my timeline and on Nets Twitter and funnily enough on Nick's Twitter. I had that many Knicks fans in my mentions as well, uh, was the coaching room is continuing to flourish around Nets Twitter land. So obviously we had Brian Windhorst. I was, okay, and, and let me set this up. The, the background story to this tweet that somehow I've got, I don't know how many likes and how many interactions and, and comments or whatever. 
I was on my uh, morning walk on on break from doing a bit of planning for teaching for the upcoming remote learning we're doing down here in Melbourne. And I'm listening to the Brian Windhorse Hoop Collective podcast. And I hear him say this this quote about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Nets head coaching position. And, and it was this. If Durant and Kyrie are running this team, I could see Mark Jackson getting hired into that, the head coaching job. And I'm like, hmm, I might put that on on Twitter. You know, you always, when you hear something on a podcast or you see it from an article, you screenshot, you put it out there. And then Jackie McMullen responded with, if I were the Nets, I'd give Jeff Van Gundy a really, really long look. So that's the background to it, Nick. Firstly, are there any pros to a Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy head coached Knicks, not Knicks team, Nets team, because it's probably more likely to be Knicks in my eyes, but Nets team. I mean, it's really tough. The only thing I guess you can view like a pro for Mark Jackson would be like, it's not like the last time he coached the Warriors were a bad team. They were still a good team, but Steve Kerr just took them to the next level. And he does have good relationships with some players in the NBA. But obviously we hear both these guys regularly on the ESPN broadcast and they seem to just be so angry about the way basketball is being played or they have some terrible takes about players or systems that they would run or whatever it might be. So like definitely can't say I'm a fan if they were to hire Mark Jackson. But I think like one of the key portions of the quote is if Durant and Kyrie are running this team, which I don't think they're running this team. Do I think they're having a large say in what happens? Sure. But at the end of the day, I think Sean Marks is still making that final decision of what's going to happen. And like we've talked about is like, yeah, he's going to make sure Kyrie and Katie like the coach. But if Marks doesn't like the coach, he's not going to hire him because their relationship's just as important as the relationship Katie and Kyrie have with the coach. Yeah, and I've made this comparison point on the buzz before, but but it seems to me that maybe initially, but it, it seems to have gone to the wayside because the Lakers have experienced so much success. Rob Palinka was literally, and I'm saying it again, literally texting Anthony Davis and LeBron James about signings and like, should I sign this guy? How about this guy? I've got a meeting with this guy. Like, and that is essentially Sean Marks hasn't said that to the extent of that. He hasn't. He's like, they're going to have an influence, which is. It's just I, in every organization around the league. If you go from Atlanta, Trey Young is going to have an influence in the yep. signings there, and that's probably why Clint Capella is there. If, Darren Williams think, had an influence on Billy King in terms of what the Nets were doing. So, like anytime you have a star, it's going to happen, right? Uh, I, exactly, and I think the reason why so many people are up in arms on on Twitter and, and, and other platforms and everywhere else is because of the nature of the personalities of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it's just yep. like, oh, these guys are erratic. These guys are silly. What, what are they going to, they're going to bring in the worst guys. And it's just like, all right, let's chill. Uh, Sean Marks is still the general manager of this team. And while I do, yes, believe that influence is being swayed by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in some form or another, I still think Sean Marks is going to do what he thinks is best for Kevin Durant. You know, yep. while Kevin Durant may want Mark Jackson, he may need Ty Lue, or he may need Greg Povich, or he may need Mike D'Antoni. You know, sometimes what you want <clears throat> isn't what you need. So I think that short Marks is certainly going to be making that decision. <clears throat> and the extensive quote was posted from Brian Windhorse and, and Jack McMullen on, on other sort of sites, including Nets Daily. And I guess this one sort of stuck out to me as well, Nick. If you're paying close attention to social media, Rich Kleiman, who is Kevin Durant's business partner and very influential has been tweeting about Mark Jackson recently. He hasn't tweeted, I want Mark Jackson to coach the Nets, but there was a story in the New York Post just this last week where it was posted about Mark Jackson or Jason Kidd, who obviously was with the Nets before and left after one year. I'm pretty sure that article was actually relating to the Knicks and not the Nets, if I'm mistaken. 
I'm not sure. I didn't see the actual article. But even so, if Rich Kleiman is advocating for Mark Jackson, Rich Kleiman was advocating for KD to go to the Knicks. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, I'm sure KD respects his opinion, but I'm not sure it's going to be able to sway, like, who he wants as a coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if it was Rich, like you sort of said, Nick, if KD listened to everything Rich Kleiman said, he'd probably be in New York Nick right now. That's 100%. That's what Rich Kleiman follows. He wants to have that influence in that organization because that's where his you know, basketball and, and home allegiances lie. But no, he's doing what's best for his client as the agent and Kevin Durant is doing what's best for him. And Sean Marks will do what's best for this team. Yeah. Um, I know um, some people will get up in arms about, you know, Sean Marks, the Michael Beasley signing, obviously him not being there anymore, like we discussed in the last episode. Again, we wish him well and hopefully that he is recovering, continuing to recover well um, in isolation and quarantine from the from COVID-19. But yeah, I, I'll before we do move on, uh, Nick, to some of the, the training and scrimmages stuff, the, the pros and cons of Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy, uh, I'll echo the sentiments of what you said. Mark Jackson in terms of, he has some ties and, and, and some allegiances to certain players, like, you know, Jason Kidd with Giannis or whatever. Don't know if those ties are still there necessarily. Uh, and I don't know if those are still there with Mark Jackson. You know, despite the fact that Rich Kleiman is a fan of Mark Jackson, does not necessarily mean that Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant is a completely different person and has a, a completely different philosophy on what he wants in basketball. He might like Mark Jackson, but he might not like him as a head coach and to coach him to a championship. I think Kevin Durant can still see that what is best for the franchise and him might be two different things. So uh, I think at the end of the day, Mark Jackson, you know, he's obviously, uh, he's had some, uh, there's plenty of cons. Like I think I saw uh, this really weird and wacky article from, I think someone from Warriors World on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, someone posted, uh, oh, the, the Light Years Podcast, sorry, where they were posting something crazy like, you know, Mark Jackson thinks we can heal Stephen, Stephen Curry's injury with weird oils or whatever. And I'm just like, all right, let's uh, let's not get like Chicago Bulls, Derek Rose level style here because, um, you know, we, we all know that the, the training staff there have been pretty poor and obviously have been replaced since then. Jeff Van Gundy, give me Stan. Simple as that. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Stan is the goat on Twitter now. Give him that blue check yeah. already. Or, or maybe not. Maybe not because uh, we all know what happens to the blue checks. Give my man OTG Nick the blue check. You know, I'm, I'm coming up to 1,000 as well. I'll get there soon enough. But yeah, uh, Stan Van Gundy, uh, I'd be very happy with him as head coach, funnily enough. But uh, Jeff, you can stick to saying grumpy. Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy remind me of those, you know, the old man Muppets that are always complaining yep. from like the, it's just the uh, three-pointer. Uh, LeBron James, there goes that man. <laughs> I don't think so. And it's just like, all right, let, let's keep those guys in ESPN. I mean, it would suck to watch. Uh, maybe get them in an assistant role so they're behind the scenes a little bit. But, you know, all success to them, all power to them, but hopefully they're not in Brooklyn Nets in the black and white uh, anytime in the near future. Anything you wanted to add to that before we move on to some other news, Nick? I would just say on the Mark Jackson front, KD did have a very good relationship with Steph Curry. Like, that's one person he did respect in Golden State. Curry obviously played under Mark Jackson. So if Curry didn't like him or things didn't go great under there, I think that would have an influence on KD, and it just feels like it's probably less likely for him to be coaching. Like, Jeff Van Gundy's such an interesting thing because, like, he obviously had success, and he did do some really good things as a Knicks head coach, but he also hasn't coached basketball in so long. You know what I mean? He's been out of coaching for a while, so it's like – interesting if either like you've kind of hinted at it, if either of these guys actually have interest in actually being a head coach in the nba again because like they're broadcasting they can essentially say whatever they want they get probably paid close to a million dollars or at least a good paycheck and they get to travel and watch nba games courtside for the entire year without the commitment of being a coach 
Yeah, I mean, the only worst thing that could happen is if Kendrick Perkins and Paul Pierce were in these rumors. Um, yeah. But when, <laughs> uh, make sure everyone checks out that uh, riveting video on the jump where Kendrick Perkins and Paul Pierce were providing some quality Indiana Pacers analysis. Get K-Wall hoops on the ESPN's The Jump. We all want that to happen. But Nick, we'll get to uh, two of our new signings, Tyler Johnson and Jamal Crawford, officially suited up for some uh, practice time with the Brooklyn Nets, looking good in the grey and, and the black and the white. And I'll get to a few of the quotes, obviously, Jamal Crawford was just incredibly happy and was almost, you know, he didn't think he was going to get that shot until the Brooklyn Nets gave him that call. But the, the quotes that stuck out to me, Nick, were, were the ones from Jacques Vaughn. And, and I'll put this to you. We'll use his ability to, and this is about uh, Jamal Crawford. We'll use his ability to understand what we're in, give some calm to some of the younger guys on the staff and also be able to produce. Uh, what's that going to look like on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis? I think only time will tell. My only thoughts conveyed to him was that we have to have an extreme honest relationship and when he's feeling it or not feeling it the communication has to be there so we'll be very smart how we use him but his ability to just come play the game of basketball and provide opportunities for shots for himself and others it's definitely going to be needed because he can create his own shot i, I that that quote to me nick especially the last point there i really stuck out yeah especially even the point about being extremely honest you yeah know what i mean and telling me like when you're feeling it when you're not feeling it and i think crawford would be a guy that would respect vaughn because they played against each other in the league so there's obviously some type of respect there. And I think that's important because, like, we all know Jamal Crawford is a very good offensive player, at least in the past, when he's on. But the thing is, as he's gotten older, he hasn't been on as much. So if he's on, sure, give him more minutes. But if he's off, you know, let Vaughn know and maybe he can play one of the younger guys. Or maybe his body's just not feeling it. You know, we have a guy who's approaching 40. Like, your body's not going to necessarily feel amazing, especially when you had such a hiatus from basketball and playing in the league. Obviously, you were still training and, you know, probably playing scrimmages and stuff, but it's nothing like NBA basketball. No, and, and funnily enough, I think Jamal Crawford would be in as good a shape as many other 40-year-olds in the world because yeah. of the insatiable nature that he has for this game. You know, we talk about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and their obsession with the craft of basketball, and Jamal Crawford epitomizes that uh, yeah. and then some, but... Uh, Nick, Crawford also spoke about, I guess, the possibility of sticking around with the Nets in the future. And obviously his ties to, to Kyrie Irving and Karis Avert, which and Kevin Durant, which we have mentioned on the podcast previously. And I, and I quote, I haven't thought about it. If you have pl- plans, God will tell you. That's kind of funny. Let me show you this. So for me, I'm trying to stay in the moment, not take any of it for granted, and just really enjoy this process that I'm in right now. The future will be the future, but now I want to focus on what's in front of me. I like the the present nature that he's bringing and just, you know, just doing his thing. I, I really like that mentality. Yeah. When you start thinking ahead or worrying about other things that you can't control, that's usually when you kind of distract yourself from the in moment situation. And I think that's the right way to approach it for Crawford because realistically, if he does well on the court, it's, I don't think it's necessarily going to matter as much in terms of him getting a role in next year's team. It's more about like how he works with the young guys, how his relationship kind of develops with those guys, and how he's having a positive effect in the locker room. And if Marks feels and Vaughn feels like, hey, this is a guy we want around next year because he can kind of stabilize things and keep everyone kind of even keel, then hey, that makes sense. Definitely. And that earlier quote from, from Jacques Fauna, I failed to sort of give a, a little bit of my own analysis to. I think that bodes well for him as a co- as a head coach of this organization, that extreme honesty, yeah. openness and communication. I think that that is a key in any leadership role, be it you know a teacher, a politician or whatever it might be in this world. Extreme honesty and open communication in any form of relationship is, is, is imperative. And I think yep. that Jacques Fauna saying that and putting it out there uh, is a really good sign. Not to say that Kenny Atkinson didn't have that, but I think that there probably were was a fracture in communication, at least in some point 
point. Maybe not within between Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson, but possibly between the players a little bit. And, and I think that that's maybe where you know some frustrations may have lied. And, and, and if we're looking at it, you know, you could see the the frustration from from some vets and such. You know, I, I think that. That consistency and communication that Jared Vaughan is alluding to with Jamal Crawford, I think needs to go through 1 to 16 on however many players are there on the roster, be it Jeremiah Martin or, or Carol Savert. And um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to sort of see that. And I think, you know, he's certainly warming himself as, as a candidate to, to Nets fans and, and plenty of other guys out there, but we'll certainly wait and see. Nick, uh, uh, just one thing on that, Jack. When Vaughn first took over the job, that was one thing he talked about. He talked about sitting down with every player, communicating, being honest, and making sure they're on the same page. And like you hinted at, you know, I think that might have been an issue for Kenny at certain points. You know, you could look at Torian Prince with some of his cryptic tweets, or even Spencer Dinwiddie talking about, like, I don't even know what they need me to do. Kenny's telling me to do this, and like all these kind of things where I think it could aggravate certain players. And even maybe the situation with Karis LeVert and the whole D'Angelo Russell thing saying, like, hold him back so i think like kenny that could have been you know one negative for him it's not to say that he's a bad coach because he didn't communicate to the highest level but it's an area he could probably improve and vaughn maybe saw that and he's capitalizing on that you know missed avenue by kenny yeah and i think uh, we'll get to uh, probably after this point um we'll get to sort of how that relates to carol severt a little bit because there were some quotes from from some of the practices that i wanted to bring to you nick especially because it is carol severt news but, but Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite team and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Get in on the action on this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championship. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Finally on Jamal Crawford uh, in relation to, to this Nets Daily article and all the, the quotes and stuff out there. Kevin O'Connor uh, spoke a little bit about him, uh, of the ringer, saying that he thinks that we could see maybe more of a playmaker version of Jamal Crawford rather than a gunning version of Jamal Crawford. Do you agree with that? Because I personally think that Chris Chioza has a better role as the, the sort of playmaking steady type, whereas I would more see Jamal Crawford as literally his six-man sort of role. Yeah, I mean, I could see the Nets maybe asking Crawford at times to, like, lead a second unit if Chioza and Levert are both starting and they want to kind of get them some reps off. But I would say, you know, based off of, like, Crawford's career, we're not talking about a guy I don't think he averaged, averaged more than, like, four assists a game. So it's not like he's this girl. Okay, he averaged five assists back in uh, 2008 with the Knicks. So, like, I think he can do it a little bit, but I'd say Chios is probably the most natural passer and playmaker on the team, at least for creating for others. And I would even say Karras is probably a step ahead of Jamal Crawford when it comes to creating for others. But as, like, a third option or a third backup guard if someone sprains an ankle, like, I think Crawford might be the next guy up, I guess, in playing that point guard-like role. Do you, okay, uh, another unprompted question before we get to some Carol Severs stuff. Who do you think is better running an offense, you know, in a secondary sort of fashion like we've alluded to, Jamal Crawford or Tyler Johnson? That's a great question, to be honest. I feel like if you're talking about a secondary ball handler, it feels like Tyler Johnson maybe is a little bit more comfortable doing that because that's been more of his role in the past. He's been more of that point guard, shooting guard, where Jamal Crawford his entire career has pretty much been a shooting guard. You know, he might have more of a point guard size, but his skill set has always felt shooting guard. Where Tyler Johnson, like even watching some of the clips from Miami, it was like, okay, 
he's running a pick and roll. He's setting other guys up. So he might even actually, you might be right. Like maybe Crawford is, I mean, Tyler Johnson's a third option. Then you're looking at Crawford as like the fourth option. I think like Tyler Johnson to me just feels like a lot of unknown. And we'll kind of get to that because there was a quote in the, uh, the article that came out by Brian Lewis that really struck me about his game. Yeah. Uh, do you want to bring that one up? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but it was what pretty was much it? talking about his knee and saying how, like, he got the surgery the season before going to Phoenix and how he wasn't able to kind of go over the top and play his game. He didn't really blame it on anybody. He just felt like, you know, I wasn't able to get to that level. He said the knee feels okay now. So, like, maybe he can get some of that burst of athleticism we saw in Miami, which could really impact his game in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, well, let's get to Tyler Johnson before we do get to Carol Severt, I guess, Nick. And obviously, um, there was the, the main quotes that were sort of taken away from his, his Zoom conferences with with the media was the fact that he he feels like he, his mum said that he owes, uh, I guess, a lot of his wealth uh, to Sean Marks and and the restricted offer sheet. And I'll quote: "My mum still says Sean is one of her favourite people of all time." We're very fortunate to be in this position. I signed that offer sheet four years ago, so I was ready at that time to become a Brooklyn Net. Obviously, we know the story. Miami matched it, but we were very interested in what was being built here. So we actually did sign that offer sheet, and I was ecstatic when we got the call to come back over here. So uh, it's uh, it's a it's a nice connection, and, uh, and it feels it almost feels like this was meant to happen in some sense in some universe, Nick. And it's a COVID universe, but it's still a universe. Yeah, and I mean, it could really end up working out well for the Nets. And I have the actual quote in front of me. And it said by Tyler Johnson, maybe I wasn't at 100%. I was working through it, trying to get right. But I didn't have that pop, that bounce I used to have. I tried to go over the top of people. Who knows if that played a role of anything? I don't put any blame anywhere but myself. At the end of the day, I can only control myself. So it makes me think that like he feels like he can hit another level athletically, which would make him more similar to the player the Nets you know, sent that offer sheet to than what we saw in Phoenix and even his last year in Miami. Not to say that he even deserves that money, no offense to his game, but like it still could be a lot more impactful player, at least in a bench role, or even if you're talking about like your 12th or 13th player on the roster. Yeah, I mean, if you have uh, an athletic pop that he does or hopefully does and, and now has found, as as he sort of alluded to in that comment, that's his number one skill that we sort of mentioned to Nick. You know, he's 6'4", but he has the athleticism of like a 6'9 guy and he can just pop and dunk on dudes and, you know, y- yank the the ball away and just show some some athletic competitiveness that not few guys that are 6'4 in this league can. And I guess that sort of relates to a, a quote from Jacques Vaughn and, uh, he was talking about what he liked about him. I think it starts with his ability to compete. Him on both ends of the floor, being able to take some of the knowledge that he has from other teams, whether that is cutting at the right time, whether that's multiple efforts on the offensive end, whether that's moving into windows and getting into space to receive the basketball. So there are things that he does extremely well that are instinctive. And then defensively, being able to fight through screens, guard multiple positions, be able to come back, help rebound because of his toughness. Those things will definitely uh, depend on both ends of the floor with him. Yeah, and I mean, it just kind of goes to that complementary skill set. It's not like he's a star or anything like that. So he understands these small basketball plays and these hustle plays that are going to earn him NBA minutes. And the fact that he kind of understands that, and I think at some point in the piece he mentioned he was kind of humbled by the situation. So I expect him to play maybe even harder than what we saw this last year in Phoenix. Yeah, I, I think that if he get that, I think the scrimmages will be interesting because I think yeah. that that's where we might get some time from from guys like Hall and and Thomas Crawford Johnson those sort of dudes. Um, in terms of this, I guess relates more to the team overall, and I was interested to see it in it because it sort of relates to I guess a little bit what he was saying to Carol Savert. We'll get to that one as well. In terms of talking about what has been run on the offensive end of the ball and. 
This is what uh, Tyler Johnson said. JV is done a, doing a great job of integrating me and Jamal pretty effortlessly. And the guys have done a great job as well explaining what needs to be said. Fortunately enough, the offense is not very complex. They just allow you to go out there and play basketball. It makes it a lot easier. Does that sort of say to you that Jacques Vaughn is providing a freedom that maybe we haven't seen this Brooklyn Nets team have. You know, obviously it's like, all right, we have to drive here, we have to shoot here, we have to move the ball, and sometimes we get bogged down into just it, it, it bogged down, like, and, and we just yeah. see no offense, and it's just like, all right, Spencer can't get a shot here, but rather than sort of playing instinctual basketball, which is sort of what Jacques Vaughn alluded to, is one of uh, Tyler Johnson's best attributes, as it would be with the Jamal Crawford type as well. It seems to me that there's going to be a lot of freedom provided to these players. Yeah, it's like kind of tough to gauge, in my opinion, because like if you're looking at it, some of it could be just like, hey, Vaughn understands that this isn't a full training camp. These guys haven't been with the team. I need to kind of make things as easy as possible so we can actually do something on the court. If I try to implement some type of system and I have these guys practicing for like a week or two weeks, they're not going to pick it up. So I think some of it could be that, but also could be some of, you know, Vaughn's mindset on offensive philosophy. Yeah, it's certainly going to be intriguing. I guess it relates to this one quote that I wanted to bring to you, Nick, about Jacques Fournani's mentality uh, with, with Karis Levert. My first approach as a staff is to give him some freedom. I think that's a process of maturity, understanding what the defense, how they're playing against you on some nights. I'm going to be a guy to look to score. Some nights I'm going to be the guy that's a distributor, so that challenging of giving him a lot of freedom. And we talked about doing simple better. That line of thinking will allow him to, as players say, get into his bag a bit and showcase more than he's done in the past. Um, we're going to see some things from Karis Avert, I think, Nick. Yeah, I feel like Vaughn understands. I mean, this is a weird situation regardless, and Karis is clearly the best player, especially when it comes to scoring and playmaking on the roster. So, like, you need to let him have that freedom and allow him to kind of expand his game and showcase what he could do. And we kind of hinted at that was maybe something Kenny didn't allow him to do in the past and only allowed him to do in certain situations. And maybe Vaughn, Vaughn's a guy that I'm pretty sure has been like Karis's coach. You know how every net has like an assistant coach they work with? I'm yeah. pretty sure he's been working with Karis for the last few seasons. So maybe he thinks more highly of Karis than Kenny did and he thinks that he could help him get to another level. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a good point. You know, obviously that freedom hopefully reverberates across the team because I think in basketball more than maybe any other sport, it seems to me that if when freedom is restricted and you're putting restrictions on guys with such high-level talent because, you know, all 450 guys in this league, this is the epitome of the sport. And even there are superb players in, in leagues around the world, including Australia, China, and Europe, when you're letting these guys just do their thing, and obviously within some form of a system on both ends of the floor, the more you limit them, the more you take away from yeah. their individual brilliance. And obviously there's, there's only so much brilliance within individual players, but it's going to be fascinating to see. And I think that that now provides a little bit more intrigue and uh, it will, it's probably pertains to what we're, uh, a question that we'll, we'll chat to a little bit earlier. But Nick, uh, there's talk, obviously, the Nets are severely undermanned in terms of the center position. Uh, we know that Dante Hall is still quarantining, as is Lance Thomas. Um, so they still haven't been able to suit up yet. But Vaughn isn't necessarily too worried about it. Neither is Jared Allen, neither is Joe Harris. They're, they're looking at the positives. Jacques Vaughn said this, We'll be very creative, I'll say that. 
whether it's challenging guys to play multiple positions and maybe do a few things they haven't done in the past. I look at guys as basketball players. Rody and Jared Allen were working out pre-practice and I walked over to them and said, when Thiago Splitter was playing, you called him a center, a big, a five-man. You guys are just basketball players, so we're going to put you in a position to make basketball players. We're going to be creative with our lineups. We're going to be creative with our concepts. We're going to challenge guys and get the most out of them. That reminds me a little bit, Nick, of Kenny's philosophy in terms of like, bigs and sort of floor generals yeah rather than sort of being like you know um you're a small forward and you have to play small forward for 48 minutes or whatever it might be i feel like it kind of even gets back to the system stuff and like you were just talking about and giving players that freedom have you put them in a specific role and they're like hey do this and you can only do that like you can't do anything else it kind of limits the players and you can't necessarily get the best out of them if you give them some more freedom you might be able to get more out of them. And then there's not necessarily as much of a concern about fit. Like how do they fit with this, you know, certain group of players? Like you're able to kind of work things out because things are always changing on the fly. So I think that's what Vaughn's kind of going with that mindset. Like, hey, I don't have the best roster. I don't necessarily have all the pieces. So I'm going to kind of have to just kind of approach things as they go. I don't really know how things are going to go, who's going to get hurt, who's going to get test positive for COVID or whatever it might be. So I really have to leave things open and just adjust on the go. Yeah, I think that openness is something, again, in a leadership position that I think is integral because there's going to be so many challenges thrown your way, especially in the current environment. I know that as a teacher, you just have to be malleable and flexible yeah. with not just your practices, but your thinking as well. So I think that's something that I'm, I'm really starting to, to see in Jacques Vaughn that I never really got the chance to see in the past because obviously, you know, we only really got to see him at, at the halftime sort of, and then obviously in Orlando where, you know, I wasn't really following basketball that much to be to be said. But Nick, this final quote about the small Just one more thing on uh, that, Jack. I just think yeah, like also on Vaughn is like, He's willing to get really creative, it seems like. Not to say that Kenny wasn't. I just felt like, it. well, this past year, Kenny wasn't willing to get that creative. In the years past, he was definitely more creative. Yeah. And it, and it makes you think about, like, honestly, probably the best coach in basketball, at least this season, Nick Nurse. A guy always adjusting on the go, always being creative, being flexible and willing to play these weird and different lineups and just kind of throwing out players and trying to get the best out of them. And not to say Jock Fon is going to be Nick Nurse, but it's nice to see that maybe he might have similar characteristics or habits. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Doc Rivers is incredibly creative on both ends of the floor in terms of what he does, Eric Spolstra. Yep. You know, I think that obviously you have your philosophies, but within that you need to have an openness to and willingness to learn. And I think that as long as Jaffon continues to maintain that, you know, I think it's going to be a positive thing for him going forward in his head coaching aspirations. Uh, the final thing I wanted to get to, Nick, was Joe Harris's quote. We're going to be a little bit undersized, but I think for us, you try to use it to your advantage, especially on the offensive end. Spread guys out, make bigs guard. Do you think that there could be an advantage to the small ball nets? Yeah, I mean, there always is some type of advantage if you can find the mismatch, and maybe it's just trying to get Karras, you know, the ISO on a big. And maybe it's using Joe Harris, who might get defended by somebody else, or using one of the other guys who's a three-point shooter, and then all of a sudden they're forced to switch because they don't want to give up that shot. Karras gets the mismatch, and they're able to go. And we've seen in the past, like, when the Nets are able to play five out or four out, and the one guy with the ball just gets ISO, being either Spencer or Karras, they're able to attack the rim because there's nobody there to help. And we know that Karras is a guy that can beat his man one-on-one -on -one off the dribble. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing maybe Joe Harris at the four, Rodian Kouritz at the five, Carol Savert, Chris Gioza, Garrett Temple or TLC, and that sort of five-man lineup, incredibly small, obviously, yeah. but all of them in some form or another can shoot the three ball. And I think a five-out lineup is something that Coach Kenny has always wanted. 
Um, and I think that now is the time more than ever to, to get whack and experiment with, with things a, a little bit because uh, if you're not going to, when are you going to? Because uh, especially in the scrimmages and the eight seeding games, you know, let's have a bit of fun with this. Let's see some different things out there. But Nick, do you think that there is a chance that we could see TLC start at the, uh, the four position? Because uh, our guy, OTG Basketball's uh, Nets guru, Alex Sturm, was saying that he saw and alluded to the photos that the Brooklyn Nets posted of the starting lineups in the black and, and the backups in the, in the gray that saw TLC uh, in the black and Rodion's courts in the gray. Or do you think that that's just sort of maybe, well, it's, it's going to be either Rodion's or TLC? Yeah, I think it's more so that. And I think it's also like, hey, you need to get guys reps at the four or with the starters if, hey, Rodion's, you know, sprains an ankle or he's tired, he's fatigued or something happens and he can't play the next game. So you don't want to limit yourself. But in my opinion, I would want Rodion starting at the four over TLC just because he's closer to a realistic NBA four. He doesn't necessarily have the weight or the strength, but he at least has the length and the athleticism. Yeah, that's a it's a good point. Um, TLC I, I just that... doesn't have like he doesn't really have the he has good athleticism. He doesn't have the length. He ha- doesn't really have the strength either. So it's just like kind of putting TLC in a bad spot, in my opinion. Yeah, there might be certain matchups out there, but I, I think like you've like you sort of alluded to in the outlet that I did with you when we were doing power rankings in terms of size, how size could be a real advantage in a lot of teams. Like you don't want TLC playing the four against the Philadelphia 76ers yep. uh, in, in many lives. That would be a, a really scary proposition um, to say the least. But Nick, obviously I alluded to earlier, we touched on earlier that, that uh, Dante Hall and Lance Thomas are still in quarantine. We don't necessarily know how much longer they have to continue getting those positive tests that was alluded to today. Do you think this obviously affects the rotation? We chat a little bit about the five position. Um, obviously, if these guys aren't getting any form of reps and, and can't necessarily you know, get any sort of rotations and, and work with the lineups, or do you think that that's what the scrimmages will be for? Are you, are you worried about it at all? Like on the, I, worry, on the worry meter of one to 10, how much does this worry you? I said worry I a lot. Pr- probably say, you know, for Dante Hall, it's more concerning. So maybe the worry meter would be at like a seven if he's not able to practice or maybe even higher. For Lance Thomas, it's probably more at like a four or five because he's an NBA vet. We talked about he's been in Nets training camp. So like there is some familiarity and he's just a guy that knows how to play professional basketball where Dante Hall is really still trying to learn that. So I'd feel more comfortable with Lance Thomas getting plugged in and play where Hall, it's going to be a little tougher, especially coming from the G League where some things are similar, but the NBA game is always going to be different oh definitely that's it at the end of the day so nick i guess we'll get to a question that i posted on twitter i can't remember what exactly time but obviously we as you alluded to the nets uh three scrimmages are going to be broadcast on yes uh two of them live and the final one against utah will be on delay so um hopefully we get some post-game buzzes for you on all of those uh, hopefully utah are showing at uh, the utah uh, jazz are showing a live version on league pass so we can watch that live and get you guys some content as quickly as possible but uh, in terms of what you're most looking forward to when the scrimmages kick off next week, Nick, before you give me your answer, I wanted to get to shout out some of the guys uh, that responded to me on Twitter. Ned said saying, seeing what Vaughn does with the front court rotation. We've talked a lot about that. It's certainly going to be intriguing. Matt Nate saw your answer, I'm assuming. Karis Levert. <laughs> Uh, Bishop on Twitter, mainly Kuritz. I think he can really contribute if put in the right situations and is in the right headspace. Would have loved to see Beasley, though. I also would have loved to see Beasley, too. I think that would have been a lot of fun. And Kuritz, I'm incredibly intrigued about. 
Uh, Joey A. Buckter to Tony at Ball, the best name I've ever seen on Twitter. <laughs> I'm mostly <laughs> looking forward to seeing Jared Allen's development with the lineup. Uh, what is our big three? Levert, Harrison Allen. That's a good one. In this expanded role, I expect him to play much more aggressively and find a lot of success in doing so. And the final one from Jason Gil- Gilbert, Jamal Crawford going for 50 a game. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like, obviously, we want to see what Karis LeVert does. It is only a scrimmage, so you're only going to take, you know, things with a grain. You're going to take a lot of things with a grain of salt, maybe even a couple grains, I guess. Uh, you want to see how Rodion plays because he could – he's kind of an X factor, essentially, for the Nets going to his eight-game schedule. Like, if he can play at a starting level, that makes things a lot easier and better for the Nets. And uh, Jared Allen is another guy, I think, like, if he comes locked in and he's, like, dominating these scrimmages – you're feeling really good about how we can play in that eight-game schedule. I'm not super concerned about Joe Harris because, like, we kind of know who Joe Harris is. And, like, Joe Harris isn't a really Blast guy. Me. <laughs> he's not a, me. He's not a guy that necessarily goes out of his, like, comfort zone. Like, he's going to stay and play his game. It's more so on, like, the impact of his teammates trying to set him up and putting him in those positions where he can succeed. So I'm really looking at Harris, Rodions, and Jared Allen. And then just the front court rotation, I think, like Nets had said, like, Who's the backup center? Who's the backup four? I think we kind of mentioned like TLC being the backup four, but you also could possibly see obviously Lance Thomas, but Musa would be a guy given that he's six, nine and has pretty good length. Obviously he doesn't necessarily have the strength or the girth, but having that length might be more of an impact than TLC's grittiness. Yeah. I mean, Joe Harris is an inch shorter than TLC as well. So like yeah. we could see, we've seen Joe Harris play the four before. I think the, one thing I, I've obviously incredibly excited. And there are so many storylines, you know, from the front court rotation to all the, the guys that have been brought in. I'm really excited to see what Tyler Johnson and Jamal Crawford can bring. Can they rejuvenate their careers in some form or, or another and prove themselves as Brooklyn Nets uh, in the future? TLC, the opportunities that he and, and Rodion's going to be given with, with the extra minutes. Same with Chris Chioza. You know, with Joe Harris, the thing that I'm looking forward to, Nick, as it is with a lot of other sharpshooters, is it's just an intriguing thing. How no crowds are going to affect the shooting and, and the mm. perimeter shooting in terms of like, is it going to be better? It's the same with like free throws. I feel like free throws will go up, but I feel like shooting might go down. Uh, it depends. Um, I'm just intrigued to see. And also because Joe Harris uh, had a pretty poor postseason against the Philadelphia 76ers last year. And obviously we saw him in the last year's offseason or this year's. I can't remember. The time's all whack now. But where he was playing uh, for Team USA and obviously getting those reps against high quality team. Can he transfer that? to a postseason if the Nets do make it. So that's what I'm, I'm looking at, I guess, with Joe Harris in particular. And obviously, he's going to be doing wonderful things to provide for my OnlyFans account. But I Nick. think another note on Harris real quick, Jack, would just be like, also, how much attention does he get? Because like you yeah. look at the Nets offense, it's like, hey, we got to stop Karis, uh, Karis LeVert with the ball. But also, we don't want to give Joe Harris any open threes because we know that's a guy that can hurt us. And if he gets hot from three, then that provides an issue for the thing. So like it'll almost be similar to the playoffs before the Nets even get into the playoffs, because I think teams are going to be keying in on Joe a little bit more than normal. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And how does he deal with that extra attention? Um, you know, you prove yourself against uh, the, the quality competition and when that attention is certainly ramped up a little bit. So hopefully Joey can step up to the plate. But final one, Nick. Nick. Obviously, we're going to project the minutes for each Brooklyn net. But to make it a, to simplify it a little bit, for the guys that are heading into Orlando, I'm going to just throw an over-under for you. Their, current, their minutes for the season, if they're going to be over or under it, most of them are likely going to be under it. And you can give me a number if you want. So Joe Harris had 30.9 minutes on the season in 63 games. Is he going to get over or under average across the seeding games, scrimmages, and playoffs, hopefully? it's. I think, like, I'm going to exclude the scrimmages because I think the minutes are going to fluctuate yeah, so yeah. much in those because I think, like, 
Vaughn might use it for conditioning to an extent, or he just might give it like a time to give everybody a run. I think by the time it's done, unless the Nets are being ultra conservative, which maybe they will be if they lose like the first four games, they're like, okay, well, we're not going to play Karis or Joe or whatever, just as like a disclaimer of I'm completely wrong on these. But I, I personally, I think I would go over. Like I think Joe maybe will play like 32 minutes or 33 minutes because he's one of the best players in the team. And if the Nets are you know really trying to win games, they're going to need him on the floor. And I don't think playing him 33 or 34 minutes is really going to do anything bad to his health. No, and obviously the conditioning, we know the conditioning and training staff. We can allude to this before every other projection that we make. We know that the, they worry incredibly about the loads and conditioning of these players, and I think that that's going to continue. Obviously, there might be a little bit more freedom in a, in a short sort of burst, but obviously we don't want any sort of muscle injuries to be happening to any of these guys as well. So it's like they're going to be playing 38 minutes. Maybe Carol Savert, which makes me... Um, again, I'm going in order of who played the most minutes this season on average next. So Carol Savert is next at 29 minutes. And the easiest question I'm going to give you on this podcast, over or under? Yeah, I mean, this is a lock to be over. Like, Harris is easily, he's probably going to lead the team in minutes. You know, he's, unless, like I said, unless the Nets decide that they want to, like, tank or load to manage him for the rest of the thing. But I feel like Harris is going to have to play, like, 35 minutes at least. Yeah, I'd probably go 34 just because that 35 is like that sort of round number where it's just like, oh, that's like James Harden, Bradley Beal territory. Well, those guys play like 37 minutes or whatever. But, you know, I think Kosovert is looking extremely cut, slick, fit. Um, He's going to be going out there and dominating. I think he's going to want to play as many minutes as possible. Uh, But we get to the next guy. And I think this one is probably... One of the more challenging ones uh, for you and I, Nick. I agree, obviously, over for Karis LeVert. Garrett Temple at 28.1 minutes. Yeah, this is tough. And, like, given all the guards on the roster, it, he could end up being under, but I feel like I'm going to go over. And even though it might only right. be, like, 28.5 or 29, I feel like he's still a vet on this team that Vaughn is comfortable with. You know, like, I can play him at point guard. I can play him at shooting guard. I can play him at small forward. Hey, like, even if I really got caught in a crunch, I could play him at power forward because he just has a basketball IQ to kind of understand what to do positioning-wise. So I think Temple would be a guy that Vaughn leans on where he might not even start, but he could just end up filling in so many different roles. Yeah, I'd, I'd expect Garrett Temple to close a lot of games uh, for sure because of the the familiarity he has with the system, Jacques Vaughn and, and the players around him, the leadership that he's provided this team. And uh, the one thing that I will say is that, you know, Garrett Temple, if he is on this team next season, I, I pretty much expect him to be, is that we already sort of have the sample size of the 55 games that we saw from him. So yeah. I think that I would rather give those minutes, if I was Jacques Vaughn, to Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, and and the, the likes of those sort of players, Chris Chioza, you know, Jana Musa, guys that play a similar sort of position type. So I'm going to go under. I reckon 26 or 27 minutes we might see from him. Obviously, it's negligible one or two minutes. Um, but maybe we should keep a running tally of these bets and, and see if we're right or wrong. But we'll, we'll revisit this um, in, in future episodes. And sure. I think Temple's a guy that really directly correlates how serious are the Nets about winning games. Like, are yeah. they... You know, like Temple's a guy that's proven in the NBA. He's not this amazing, like he's not really a starting level player, but he's a bench player. He's solid. Like you said, we have the 55 game sample size. He had games that he helped us win. And he's he's more proven than other players on the roster, or at least he's shown what he can do in the net system. And like, that'd be a guy that you'd probably lean on if you're trying to win. But if you're more so trying to use this as like a tryout period, then I could definitely see him getting under and guys like Tyler Johnson getting his minutes or, you know, Musa, like you mentioned, or even Chioza taking some of his too. Yeah, I guess we, uh, Sean Marks alluded to earlier on a pod that we sort of spoke about, you know, that, that they want to be competitive. We're going down there to compete. So 
in that sort of realm, I, I probably I could be wrong. You know, obviously it's it's about balancing all the the different juggling balls that you have to sort of see, and it's not just despite the fact that it is you know an eight game sample size and playoffs, it's not just about this season for this yeah. team. You know, the the ultimate glory is is on the the horizon. So I think that it needs to be balanced in the. The, sh- the medium term, it's not long term, it's not three or four years ahead, it's literally next season, yeah. we hope to. Um, another really, really easy question, Nick, Jared Allen, 25.7 minutes per game on the season in 64 matchups, uh, that is a, a blatant over. Yeah, it's an easy over. I think Jared's probably going to play, you, you could make an argument, he might play the second most minutes on the team after Karis LeVert because there's such a need at his spot. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. I would be surprised if he's not at 33 minutes or so. You know, yeah. I think that he's he's young, he's fit, you know, similar to Carol Severt. He's he's getting into the prime of his career. Obviously, it'll be matchup dependent and, you know, maybe we, we throw uh, a Lance Thomas out there because he might have a bit more strength. I don't know. But I think Jared Allen is going to be the guy there for a, a lot of those matchups. Um, and, and especially, you know, if we're in in playoff matchups, you're going up against Marcus Gasol, he's going to be, hopefully, if we keep that seventh spot or if it's against, you know, the old Brook and that Brook Lopez. You know, Jared Allen's going to have to be out there for extended periods of time. Yeah, I, I think mean, a lot in of the Bucks series, he's almost having to play the whole game because he's like the yeah. only guy that can give you solid defense against Giannis. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy one, Nick. It's gonna be a crazy one. I think a lot of these are gonna be over, Nick. But I want to hear your range of minutes. TLC at seventeen point two minutes. Do you think it's gonna be over or under? And give me a bit of a range. Yeah, I think it'll be over. I think TLC is a guy that I think could like be sporadic, where I could see him having some games at like twenty, and then I could see him having other games where he's playing like twenty-eight or thirty if he plays really well. And we know his three ball is really streaky. Like if TLC is hitting his threes, because it seems like that's a shot the defenses are willing to give up, it helps the net so much if he's hitting them. But when he's not hitting them, he's not necessarily providing a ton offensively. So I could see Vaughn kind of pacing off that. And then also matchups, you know what I mean? Like TLC's not this amazing defender yet, but he's trying to turn into being a good defender. So I put him over. I couldn't really see him getting over 27 minutes on average. Like I would think it would probably be somewhere between like that 23 to 26 range. Yeah, yeah, I, I would. Thinking? I my range would be anywhere from nineteen to twenty-five. Yeah, uh, I think above that twenty-five range, you know, it, it, it would be extended. Obviously, if he's playing good basketball, hitting three balls, and you know, cutting cutting well and and, and pushing hard in transition, offense and defense, you know, I'm happy to put him out there. But it's about consistency, and if he can't show the consistency, you know, maybe we do see him push that twenty-seven minute mark. But uh, another blatant over Nick is ready on courts at twelve point eight, especially if he's starting. What's the range for him though? Yeah, he's definitely over. I think he's taking Torian Prince's minutes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I think that he's probably playing close to 28 minutes a game because he's really, I mean, like Lance Thomas can play the four, but if you're asking Lance to be your backup center, he can't play both positions. So I think like Rodion's is another guy, especially if he plays well. This is another streaky player. If Rodion's comes out and has one of those stretches where he's knocking down a three ball, he's playing aggressive, he's getting those steal and slams, like... Rody's a guy that's going to play almost close to starter minutes because, I mean, at this point, there's not many other guys that can start at the four realistically. And he has started for this team. Like, we, yeah. we saw, we literally did a rewatch of him against the Miami Heat. He started game a lot of games this. last year. He did, and he played He played his best basketball as a starter. Yeah. You know, because he had that confidence, he had that comfort. You know, he just knew the teammates better within the starting lineup. You know, obviously, Toy and Prince's minutes were at 29, Nick. What's the range for Rodion's? I would say probably anywhere from 25 to 30. Yeah, same. You, 
But yeah, I mean, you could even make an argument. Maybe it's close to the 31 or 32 if he plays well. He's so sporadic. You know what I mean? Like, I also could see him playing only 24 minutes in a game of Jock Vaughn's pissed on the way he's playing. Yeah, I think that you know, he's he, he might have the, the the greatest discrepancy. It might be anywhere from 18 minutes to 30 minutes for a guy yeah. like like Rodan's Kouritz. So, uh, but we'll get to some of these lesser guys in the roster, and then we'll get to uh, the, the pickups, uh, the substitute players as well. Jana Musa at 11.5 overall under Nick. This one's a bit of a trickier one. Yeah, I think he'll be over. I think that yeah. it won't be much over though. Like I, I mean, I you obviously, if you listen to the buzz, you know I'm not necessarily the biggest Musa guy, but this is a great opportunity for him to step up and showcase some of the skills we saw in the G League. It just didn't translate to NBA basketball. But I remember hearing a quote for him saying he has a better understanding of like who he is in the NBA and what he needs to do. So I could see him getting maybe closer to like 15 minutes. But I also could see there being games where Musa doesn't even play. And they elect yeah. to go with somebody else. So I think that's what's kind of tricky with his minutes where his average might be a higher, but it's not like when you don't play, it goes on to your minutes. It's not like they put zero. It's just a DNP. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Obviously, his position is quite stacked despite the fact that he is taller and can play. You know, he technically, by via virtue of his size, play three or four. He has spent a lot of, uh, a lot of his time playing the shooting guard position. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know, uh, it's going to be, I think that it'll probably be maybe just over, yeah, but it could be under as well because in the minutes that he does play, maybe he just does play garbage time and, and yeah. he averages like six minutes a game. So uh, another blade. And if that's moment, the case, Jack, I think that pretty much sends a message he's not going to be on the team next year. It's a really good point. Really, really good point. Uh, another blade, Nova, Chris Gio's at 11.5. Yeah, I mean, this is a clear over. I don't, his, his minutes are going to be hard, but given that he might. You know, after uh, Karis Avert and Joe Harris, he could end up being the third best guard on the roster. Like he could outplay yep. Garrett Temple because he has that playmaking skill set. He has that speed. He provides a little bit more of those hustle plays. I mean, Chiosa, I would expect almost to play over 25 minutes. Yeah, my range for him, and you can dispute this. I, I, I'm intrigued to hear what you think of my guess range for him is 20 to 28. Yeah, I think that's fair because it's hard to gauge. And I, I would probably even lean closer to the 28, maybe even put that at like 24, giving just like half the game playing point guard. Right, yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair point, obviously. You know, Jamal Crawford is there, Tyler Johnson is there now. How, how much time are those guys going to get to spend, you know, running the offense? You know, how much time is Chris going to spend with backup lineups, with starting lineups? It's, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, big moment for the, him, to be honest, though, Jack. Like, if big. he plays really well, this is Chris Gioza earning his next NBA contract. Like, let's not forget, he's on a two-way deal. He's a restricted free agent. He, The Nets picked him up, but it's not like he was a lock to play in the NBA. It's usually tough for those undersized guards to really guarantee themselves an NBA role. But if he plays well here, you know, he could guarantee a spot in the Nets next year or even another you know, young team wants to take a flyer on him. Yeah, financially, there's nothing more on the line other than, I guess, Joe Harris, who's a restricted free agent, than Chris Chioza. You know, obviously, some form of contract. I, I do think he is an NBA player, uh, just purely from the flashes and comfort that we've seen of him on the floor, the confidence that he does show. Yes, he's size, but I think, uh, like Javon sort of said, basketball is a basketballer. Uh, you know, yeah. Isaiah Thomas has had an incredible career, um, despite the fact that he has been uh, an incredibly undersized player. Chris Paul as well. I think Chris Joseph, he's nowhere near 
in the realms of, of those two guys. But I think Chris Scherzer can have a career, and I think that he's going to uh, have some time to prove that. He's still only 24 years old. I'll throw these last two guys together, Nick, before we get to guys like Tyler Johnson, Lance Thomas, and such. Uh, Justin Anderson and Jeremiah Martin are both at 5.3 and 5.7, respectively. We heard we spoke about Jeremiah Martin on, on previous episodes. We expect, though, it hasn't been confirmed Justin Anderson to replace Wilson Chandler. He is currently in the bubble and spoke to, I think, his college alum podcast that he expects to be on the roster. Uh, do you expect those guys to get any more than junk time in seeding games slash playoff games? I mean, they'd really have to pop off. You know, like they'd really have to do something to improve. I think it'd be more likely for Justin Anderson if he comes in the game and he's having a ton of great hustle plays or they need him defensively to throw on to somebody. It makes more sense to play Anderson where Martin's a little bit unproven. He hasn't necessarily played minutes this year. I think both guys could end up getting over the minutes average because they're not necessarily locked in to play every game. Like these would be guys I don't necessarily expect to be in the rotation every game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, for those guys, we'll probably look more at what the scrimmage games show us. And it's like, are those games used for them to prove themselves that they can play the seeding games? Yeah. I think Jeremiah, and because again, Jeremiah Martin's position is so damn stacked, but maybe he is the best defensive force that we have out there if we're going to throw him out against a, a Damian Lillard in that in, in some of those games or that we're, the strong point guards that we go up against. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on those guys. Uh, respectively, but the final three guys: Nick Jamal Crawford, Tyler Johnson, Dante Hall, and I think that's it. Is that, am I missing anyone? And Tyler Johnson? Did I say him? Yeah, oh, and yeah. Lance Thomas. And Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas. I knew I was forgetting someone. Yeah. Project the minutes for all of those guys. Let's start with Jamal Crawford. Oh man, Jamal Crawford is really tough. My <laughs> range for him, I'll give you this absurd range. 12 to 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could even say it's maybe freaking eight to 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And I mean, like, oh, he plays uh, one stint. He tells Vaughn he doesn't feel right or Vaughn doesn't like the way he's playing or something or his defense is that bad. He doesn't play the rest of the game or there's other games where all of a sudden, you know, Crawford hits his first five shots and the Nets need that offense and they're trying to play, you know, get as much out of him as they possibly can. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy one. Tyler Johnson, uh, my range, six to 24 minutes. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to you. Maybe, yeah, it's it's so hard to gauge with these guys because we just don't know if they're going to get in the rotation or Vaughn's going to go with the guys that he knows. That's why it was, you know, kind of easy going through maybe the first five to seven guys because we know what to expect and they're going to fill in those roles where Crawford, Johnson, like there's no guarantee they're going to outplay the other guys. I feel like Tyler Johnson will be a guy that at least gets some minutes though. You know, like maybe he's getting – 12 or 15 minutes a game or something like that. It'll also be interesting to see what Vaughn does with his rotation. We know Kenny was really about playing that nine, 10 man rotation. Maybe Vaughn's willing to expand, especially due to the circumstances. Hey, I'm going to play 12 guys. Yeah. And, and that could, you know, lessen the minutes of a carousel vert as well. You know, obviously you, I think a lot of teams will be looking at that Nick to try and, you know, you don't want to push these guys too much at all because uh, you, you know, Soft tissue injuries, muscle injuries are have been prevalent. And I've mentioned this on uh, whether it's JVT or the outlet that muscle injuries have occurred in, in a lot of the, the overseas soccer leagues and have been the most prevalent injuries since the return of, of those associations. There's been a lot of injuries as well happening in the AFL, the Australian Football League in, uh, in, in that nature too. So you know, having that depth 
could be in, in certain positions could be uh, to our favor. Lance well, an interesting done... just one more note, Jack. An interesting yep. thing too is like the Nets play the Magic and Wizards in their first two games, the most important games essentially of their schedule, other than playing Orlando later on. So like, yeah. do they look to maybe play somebody bigger minutes, and then all of a sudden when the Bucks come in that third game, they're just like, hey, maybe we're just going to rest Karis Levert. You know what I mean? Like, and let him get the game off so that way we can get the most out of him. So there's like so many different factors. And like, who the hell knows? Like you said, with all the soft tissue injuries, maybe someone pulls a hamstring and then all of the rotations are out or they get, I know we just saw Zion getting cramps, which I don't think is going to be uncommon for guys trying to squeeze three to four months of, you know, workouts into a month. Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of Gatorades in those uh, those team bubble fridges. There are a lot of choices. I, I'm, I'm a bit jealous. I love me. Not, not enough grape, though, for my liking. I'm a big grape uh, Gatorade I fan. I hate and, grape Gatorade. Ah, <laughs> get off this podcast. Luckily, I'll, I'll buy the variety back, and I'll give you all the grape, because I just like, right. absolutely hate the grape. <laughs> I think the shipping might cost a little bit too much, but uh, we'll, we'll split it. We'll split it. Uh, um, final one, Nick. Lance Thompson, Dante Hall. And for me, I'm going 10 to 20 minutes for these guys. Yeah, I think uh, Dante Hall or Lance Thomas, it'll kind of be interesting to see, like, who gets the backup center spot. You know, if it's Hall, then, like, they're probably playing whatever minutes Jared Allen isn't playing. And, like, that's 10 to 15 minutes minimum. And then the interesting thing about Lance Thomas is that he really can play the four, too, especially if you're going against a team that's putting out a strong four. You know what I mean? Somebody who you don't – even, like, let's say Orlando – like, if you want to give Aaron Gordon somebody with a little muscle, like Lance Thomas will probably be able, to be able to do a better job than some of the other backups. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't really care about spacing, you could throw and, – and, and, in fact, you could probably play Lance Thomas at the four a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah, he can That's shoot where the he three played ball. a lot of his career. Yeah, and, you know, Dante Hall is – purely a center it seems despite his lack of size it's just because he can't stretch the floor and and that importance within the net system and in general you don't want to necessarily play him and Allen together whereas you could play Thomas and Allen together so maybe that gives him a bit of an advantage and I'll bump him up to 10 to 22 uh, instead but it'll be fascinating would be to see a guy it. that I could see that if he doesn't like pick up quick enough like he could be a guy that doesn't even really play and he's just kind of that third option since they now do have Lance Thomas who just might be able to provide you more of like that competent NBA defense in terms of like positioning and helping what you need from your NBA center, which is so hard. You know what I mean? It's not like an easy skill. Like we've seen the improvement from Jared Allen to his rookie season until now and understanding positioning. Yeah, I mean, it seems him and Martin are at the lowest sort of pecking order within reason. You know, those yeah. guys are G League guys. Um, but, you know, we hope that they prove something for themselves because we want all these guys to do well. Anyone who is a Brooklyn that we wish the best um, and we want them to, to prove themselves and, and to perform in whatever opportunities that they do get. But uh, that's going to end it for this one, guys. We will be back with you uh, again. Just to remind you, those scrimmages are being televised and uh, Nick and I will hopefully get that content and some takeaways from those matches as much as we can. Or no doubt, we somehow squeeze this podcast out to nearly an hour. Uh, you, you better believe that we can get 48 minutes of basketball into uh, at least a 20-minute podcast. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we're excited to watch Nets basketball. It's fun to talk about, but it's so much more exciting to watch and actually have basketball to talk about instead of the news and seeing stuff on the court and seeing how these guys kind of adapt and fit next to each other in such a strange situation that we'll probably never see again. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a fascinating, intriguing, uh, insert adjective here uh, sort of season. It's going to be absolutely wild and uh, to the Orlando campus, as uh, Garrett Temple likes to call it. 100%. As always, big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsbook.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.